Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I have Jack Ballou. Jack is a renowned trainer, classical dressage specialist, top-selling author, and all-around equine fitness expert. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Hi, Jack. Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast. We're really glad to have you as a guest. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, for my listeners who might not have heard of you, um, which I would be surprised because I feel like you've really penetrated, again, so many parts of the horse world, multiple disciplines. Uh, Jack is, in, in my opinion, this is how I would put it. She is an equine biomechanics specialist and also really gets to sort of the fundamentals of how a horse moves its body, moves its feet, also affects its mental balance and its ability as an athlete to perform in the frame of mind that allows it to be at its best. So and this is something that um, I find fascinating, the technicalities of it, and also for my work. So I first came to learn about Jack through her book, 55 Corrective Exercises, which is like a go-to. And I, I actually, I'm going to hold it up. I'm interviewing her over Zoom. Here it is. It's always on my desk. And I have used this book so often for horses that have come to the charity program I run with rehab injuries, clients who I'm teaching online or in person whose horses, they may not have an injury, but they're so habituated to carrying themselves in a certain frame, whether for their sport or for anomalies and balances. And people aren't realizing that that's why the horse might um, go up a little bit when you ask it to shift or leg yield a certain direction. It's going to be used to keeping weight on a certain leg. And so I found this book. I'd heard of it. You're well known in, in the community. And one of the things that really impressed me, Jack, was not only how well organized it is, but how well written it is too. So it isn't just um, like, here's a spreadsheet of exercises, but it's actually goes into, I feel like a lot of effort to explain the whole picture. So I want to commend you on that. And uh, it's not easy to do, as you know. <laughs> it's not. Uh, and well, and, and as we were talking earlier, it's making things simple is surprisingly hard. <laughs> and that was that's always a big goal of mine. Keep make make things simple so that people have practical things they can do and be successful with their horse without getting confused. And then the way that you describe the exercises, and Jack has written multiple books, by the way, for my audience that we will, you know, touch on, I'm sure, throughout this podcast, but you put it in such a way, it's very neutrally written, so it's not like, this is the right way to do it, it's like, this is the goal of the exercise, it will maybe show where the horse is having, some it's going to, it's, it's going to illuminate some areas, and give you ideas of where to practice things or to help your horse gradually improve rather than if your horse can't do the labyrinth, there's something wrong and you must make it, you know, make it do it faster. And so I really appreciated that. And that's been why it's been such a great tool for me personally with personal horses, with the charity, but also in teaching people because mm -hmm. it lays it out in a way that helps, again, neutralize the information so people can see it simply. I'm so happy to hear all you say all this. It's just wonderful feedback. And, you know, as, as you've probably discovered with your students um, and those that you mentor, the exercises are so effective too, because there's all these covert things happening. Um, 
because horsemanship comes into play, but we don't have to use that kind of language that becomes, as I said, overwhelming or complicated for folks. But to do some of these, you know, slow moving techniques, which are designed to put the horse's body in an optimal balance and alignment, you have to pay attention and calm yourself down and sort of read what's happening with your horse. And as you said, you can't hurry them through it because we're trying to activate the slow twitch muscle fibers anyway, and those highly innervated structures, which um, dictate the horse's posture. So you are also connecting and communicating with your horse in a delightful way at the same time. <laughs> Completely. And one of the things that I often will have people do right away, even though it's a, a hard exercise, is the straddle the pole exercise, because all mm -hmm. it takes is one pole. And I tell them, your horse isn't going to be able to do it most likely. So it, the whole point is not to see if you can get the horse to do it, but to see how your horse approaches it, where they place each foot, and to make note of that, you know, because it's going to tell you a lot about how your horse is habitually used to carrying its body along the alignment of the spine. So it's not a judgmental thing. It's like, it's a cool thing, cool way to discover where these maybe asymmetries are. It's, there's nothing wrong with your horse or you that they have these asymmetries. I have asymmetries. If you gave me the human equivalent of straddling a pole, I too would have issues. Yeah. And then I talk about, um, as you do in your book, again, I can just refer to your book for the students your horse is going to process, you're really, you're playing into areas of proprioception. And that is a very different response system. So if your horse gets really sleepy and their head drops and they might even sway just a little teeny bit, that's good. He's not tuning you out. So it's a great back door for me to introduce this idea of being aware of when your horse is processing and waiting on your horse to come through the other end of it. And then the horses, maybe their owner has never done that before, not because their owner's bad horse person, they just haven't been exposed to this. And you right. know how great, you know how grateful the horses are when they realize that you're actually waiting for them and that you let yeah. them complete that process. And then from there, it just seems like all of these elements start to fall into place for the horse and the person together. Yeah, they really do. You can you can see the changes in the horse and and for me I can feel the difference in the horse as they make those changes in their body. They're what I call more rideable. You know, they're more enjoyable, or easy, easier to ride. Um and it translates in in it, it, it's just so fun. I was on Jim Masterson's um educational seminar over the weekend and I was telling folks that um you know, maybe 50 years ago we would have been like what's the point of these kinds of exercises, what I call corrective exercises. And back then, perhaps there may not have been such a need, but the fact is the way we've domesticated horses and keep horses in today's world, um, things have changed. They do not get the amount of movement that they need. Um, I think a lot of the imbalances that we create through training them <laughs> could be mitigated if they got a lot more just sort of free movement to work out the adhesions and things that can form, but they don't receive that in their daily life. I mean, even places that have, I grew up in New England and they do have, for the most part, more open land than we mm -hmm. have in California. But they also have gnarly winters. And I'll tell you, when a horse is in, you know, belly high snow, they're not moving around very much. And that's a mm -hmm. lot of fun. So, you know, the fact is we do need corrective exercises, just like 
any of us humans do. There's always something that can be, you know, some tension that could be released, some imbalances that could be resolved um, by nature of our lives. <laughs> well, and horses are kind of, you know, originally designed in the wild to be land sharks, right? So they always move. Yeah, and they always eat, you know, and that's sort of their, that's a great simplification, by the way, for my people who are my listeners who are actually serious students of biomechanics. But I'll describe that to a lot of my students, particularly the teen interns, they're land sharks, they're designed to move and eat and just all the time. And so we did them a service, I feel like by domesticating them, um, you know, they're not going to do well running wild in the suburbs, right? So that's a good thing that we domesticated right. them. Yeah, and yeah. Many horses uh, perform as show horses now, and that can be a great thing for us. It keeps horses very much in the forefront of American culture, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but there's also things that come with that show training. Just like if you were an Olympic gymnast, you're going to have a very sort of structured training and lifestyle, and you're probably not going to be good at other things, or you might have your form of braces too. Like you can do tons of things on the balance beam, but if I ask you to go bowling, it might get kind of ugly, you know. So, so yeah, you yeah. have to kind of see. So you have to kind of see where the where you can help your horse be more balanced. But it's not to say, oh, your horse shouldn't be showing. And um, and then there's a lot of people who pleasure ride who feel like maybe, well, I don't need to know this fancy stuff about being kind of setting my horse up to be balanced. It's like actually it makes the trail so much more fun and pleasant for the horse. There's still trail riding is an athletic endeavor too. And so I just feel like what you've done is you've put this all together for people and then they can see the results. And like you said, it's, it's horsemanship, but it doesn't feel like this big serious thing that you need to be learning or you've been doing wrong. You're just helping your horse mm -hmm. with better posture, you know? So it's great. Yeah. And I also find many of, it sounds like maybe you work with some younger folks, which is great. We need more, we need more in the industry. Um, most of my riders are, um, you know, they're over 40, usually kind of the average um, American amateur horse owner. Um, but what I find is a lot of a surprising number sort of started riding in their adult years. And the learning curve, as we all know, is really huge to learn to be a really skilled rider who can feel everything that's happening underneath you. It's a big, big task to learn that. And for people that don't have that heightened sense, um, that sensitivity and feel they didn't grow up riding horses. It, it is a way to help their horse because from the ground, I think when you do these exercises, a lot of times you can rely on your visit, your visual cues, you know, it can be a lot easier than when you're in your lesson and your instructor's like, well, can you feel him leaning on your left leg or something like that? Right. And you'd be like, I don't even know what that means. Like, I definitely yeah. don't feel it. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. But when you talk about straddling the pole, you can definitely see when you lead the horse up to the pole, if he's all leaning off to the left side as you approach the pole, you know? Um, so it, it allows you to help some of that stuff that um, maybe you might not be able to feel from the saddle and, and don't beat yourself up if you can't feel it. No, it's hard to feel it. And footfall, things like that, it takes so much time in the saddle to develop that sensitivity people often don't realize, you know, when they're riding a horse that they might've asked for a transition when the horse was actually weighted on the leg that you needed that to, to move. And so when he's weighted on a certain leg and you go, can you move that leg? He's like, I can't move that leg yeah. just yet. I need a moment. 
it's hard sometimes to feel that timing, but when you're doing a pole exercise, you might see where your horse habitually wants to lean a little bit more one way, or if you're doing a serpentine over the poles, how much harder it is to serpentine one direction versus the other, because it's a continuous yeah, lead. Yeah. And then you can look at that and, and say, oh, and then what I'll often do um, with my students, I'll do it with my interns too. They just think I'm ridiculous because they're all like between the ages of like 12 and 18. So, you know, they know everything, which is great. That's why, that's why we love them is I'll have them get on their hands and knees and mimic what their horse did. And they go, if, if you are going to lean to the side, what would you have to do with your body? And they'd be like, oh, I'd have to really shift my weight over. Okay. Like, so that's what's going on when you're riding them too. So it's just a really, again, that you have the visual of what the horse is doing. And then I'll say, well, why don't you get on your hands and knees and see what would you have to do to replicate that feeling? And so that can bring a little awareness too. And many of the teen interns I work with are really good riders. You know, they're very successful riders, but they okay. don't think about it that way. And then they're like, I'm frustrated. My horse won't take these, won't get their strides right. And it's like, well, maybe you can think about, you know, before you get to that point when you're working on your equitation, where is that horse doing that weird thing? So yeah, yeah. How fun. Do you find with the um the third the off the track um, horses that you have, are there some exercises in particular that you tend to lean on more? I think they all they all really are intrigued by the poles. They the the labyrinth is something that they really get into. The pole straddling is something that the horses are like, I have no there's no correlation for that. And they're so used to being braced. So it's a great opportunity again to have them realize that I'm going to pay attention while they're being still. And the other thing that's interesting, again, I work with these older horses that raced until like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. The oldest one we had was 16. He raced till he was 16. Wow. I know. And um, they, there can be a lot of emotion when you ask them to do something different because they're like, that's not, that's, that's not in my menu. Not emotion in a way that is hostile. They just, they get scared. Like they, they really feel like this is how we do things. So to yeah. the extent you can slow things down and really pay attention going up and down the hills those little things like getting that that is a big deal where you're actually asking for the lift the thing that i find the hardest is where we're asking them maybe with uh you know an extra tool to lift one foot that's a little harder for them because they're also tight in their back so that usually comes toward the end but definitely they get intrigued with the poles the serpentines you know where you set up the two poles and you kind of snake in between that is one of my favorites for them and then where you just have like one, one pole is uneven, like that you have them and you go zigzag in and out. They're like, get out of town. Like, this is crazy. Like, a, and then I'm paying attention to their feet. Maybe we're swinging a front foot this way or the other. That's so good for their shoulders. Mm -hmm. Most of the war horses, they come in like this. And then a lot of the clients that I work with, uh, sometimes they have um, Western discipline horses like Rainers and Rainers. They're like, I mean, the, it's just a completely different, it, it accesses, as you know, because you designed these, it accesses this different part of their nervous system. And so they're able to move something that they thought they couldn't move because there's a pole there. So it's this really interesting shortcut for them. Um, and so, but I don't think I've ever introduced an exercise from your book to a war horse that hasn't been interesting and productive for the horse. Sometimes it just takes longer because it's a, it's weird. 
you know, none of them back really well. They all back with like their heads up and the, like, you know, yeah. all these things. Yeah. And so anything we can do to kind of loosen the back, even some of your, you know, sort of the manipulation exercises, like doing the, um, you know, you take a ballpoint pen on their hindquarters and all that. And you guys, I will, listeners, I will link to my favorite exercises in the show notes. <laughs> um, but, you know, sometimes we have horses that are in such serious rehab jack that they can't really even do significant groundwork. So some of those standstill wow. things that you have in your book have been very beneficial for little releasing attention, but also just for getting to know where the horse might need more work and help later. It's not quite body work in a, in a way, but it, yeah. it is also, and because you're really getting right to this nervous system. And then they're very simple. Again, these are very simple exercises, yeah. with very clear cut things to look for, as opposed to doing full acupressure, you know, which takes a lot of training. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned, um, the tight backs, the, because I feel like, um, again, we are learning more <laughs> thankfully than we used to know, but I remember, um, many years ago to help a horse move better. The first thing that we would go to is like, well, let's make his top line stronger. Let's, right. let's make a stronger top line. And what I'm finding the more I, you know, dive in and study this is, um, most horses need, um, they need tone in their top line, but they need a lot less tightness than, than many of them have. And they need more of what you're talking about, which is exercises or maneuvers that ask their, their, them to organize their body in a relaxed state because that's when you're targeting these changes in the nervous system. Um, once you go out and, you know, get them lunging or riding or whatever, then we've activated a different system. And usually that system like the back um, needs to let go of strength. Um, it's doing right. much. It is. It's like, it's overcompensating. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate people who show at high levels and I never want to put forth the thing that, oh, this is the wrong way to do it. But sometimes depending on your discipline, you might be rewarded in terms of scores for something that has a certain silhouette rather than a true relaxation of movement. Mm -hmm. And that's where you can really see in certain frames, depending on the sport. And there are multiple sports that have very specific frames, right? Yeah. Um, where your horse is actually just sort of you know, kind of, it's not really moving supplely through the back and right. you're not necessarily getting the feedback from a judging criteria that that's something to work on. And then, so you continue with your normal training patterns as we all would do, right? Competitive. Yeah. Um, and then your horse starts to have more issues. They start to maybe refuse fences or they start to suddenly not want to approach the judge at you know, the end of the dressage arena or, you know, leg yielding to the right is suddenly no longer on the menu or whatever <laughs> it is. And so that's something that I think I call it horse yoga. It's just a general term. It's not anything that I've invented. Whenever I'm introducing suppling exercises of some kind, I'm like, this is just horse yoga. Doesn't mean you have to change what you want to do with your horse, but this will help your horse be better in athletic performance, more relaxed, more supple. And um, that seems to help sort of reduce this idea of I have to completely change how I'm training my horse, you know, like you said, this has yeah. come out over time, you know, the prevalence of kissing spine, things like that, yeah. that, you know, I mean, that was rarely diagnosed, like even 10 years ago, I didn't hear, but now I hear about it constantly. 
And I think, again, as we only improve and get better with diagnostics and with also awareness of biomechanics, how to prevent things, just like we do with people, right? In in human fitness and medicine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, horses are so um, good at changing. I mean, they're so athletic and so willing to change. And so when we can help their bodies with just little stimulus, it is surprising the results you can get. And certainly we've seen that with body work, um, how you can use the lightest touch. I remember, you know, telling somebody once about acupuncture for horses or massage or something. They're like, oh, you must need all this pressure, you know, or the world's like a sledgehammer. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh no, no, they're, they're actually a lot easier than we are. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and it's the same with these kinds of exercises or, um, you know, that sort of thing, it, but it's, it's cool. And it's exciting that you have to enjoy it though, helping change these horses. Like you're, like you're helping, um, you know, you have to love that process, but it's so gratifying to see those changes, take a horse that's all braced, like you're describing and help them find some ease of movement. You know, I was reading, you know, I love to study, study vet books all the time and just you know, like, I'm kind of a perpetual nerd. <laughs> and I was reading one last week that was, um, it was making the case that a lot of today's, well, uh, up to 50% of today's lamenesses have no pain associated with them. Mm-hmm. It's just a mechanical um, f- problem with the gait. And so, I mean, that is tension, imbalance, et cetera, right? It's not a pain induced lameness. And this vet was making the case that they define lameness by any movement in any gate that doesn't seem easy and comfortable and landing with light footsteps. And if you ask yourself on any given day, how many horses do you see moving that way? It's not the majority, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for a variety of reasons, but that's what excites me and keeps me going nowadays. It's like, well, can we go home? I know how good I feel and I keep myself tuned up and I want, you know, I want to do that for the horses. Cause like I say, they are more rideable and then riders don't get frustrated and mad at them because they're, you know, and they're safer, they're safer, you know, they're safer in the sense that, um, if you're balled up and tight and then something startles you Hmm. much more likely to have a less than fluid movement or, the movement that you offer is not something that can be directed into a more comforting shape. It's just sort of spastic, like a, like a king toes, it suddenly explodes. And, yeah. and so I think that that's something too, that that connection between the physical balance and the mental kind of emotional balance of the horse is a really significant thing. And, um, you know, again, some of the war horses, they might have a lot of emotion about work and the same for any high performance athlete. When you're asking them to change, what will start to happen is they don't want to go forward and yeah. um, forward suddenly is fraught with all of these things. And it can be in small ways or it can be in larger ways. But if you can, as you say, and as you know, your work has you know, demonstrated over and over, if you can address those things in a way that isn't training on them and making them do it better, it's unkinking in a way I mean, those horses, they, like you said, it's so rewarding to see them change and, you know, change, uh, yeah, more rideable, but also they're enthused and happy to work. Yeah, they are. They really are. I, I, I strongly believe that horses can enjoy their, their exercise and the exercise can be quite hard and they can enjoy it. Um, Mm -hmm. and that they, can do so with a happy attitude, you know, I've seen it. And, 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 you know, that, that we need to change this notion that it's like, you know, drudgery and work and, um, 
No pain, that, no gain. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> if that's the case, maybe something's a little, could, a little bit out of balance with your program. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, as usual, uh, you know, it's my podcast, so I get to power trip and just immediately take over and talk about whatever I like. But I would like to give you kind of more of a forum to just describe how you came to this work because it wasn't random. I mean, I can tell, even if I didn't know anything about you, I can tell just by reading your book that this is a thoughtful, long progression of well, you're study. Very, <laughs> you're very insightful. Yeah, you are very insightful. Um, yeah, I had a, a, a dressage upbringing and um, I came out here to California to pursue a competitive dressage career and um I met Manolo Mendez on his first clinic trip to the United States wow. and it changed, it changed my life. And, um, I then subsequently hosted his clinics here in California for the first six years that he came to the U S and it, um, you know, I sort of did an about face and did a lot of soul searching and, and I think it started me down the right path and, um, combined with that. And, and so what changed for me, the first time that I went to his clinic was I had shown up with a, what you're describing, a young Andalusian, a Lusitano stallion who was pretty phlegmatic, didn't want to go forward. And um, he wasn't misbehaving per se, but he didn't have any engine. And um, I unloaded him from the trailer. And at this time, nobody had ever heard of Manolo Mendez. So there were literally two participants in the clinic. I was oh my God. Oh. And um uh, Manolo got down on his hands and knees and, and looked at the horse's feet. And he was like, what's, what's up with his feet? You know, and they were all, they were not ideally balanced. I didn't know enough at that point. And um, he was like, I bet this horse doesn't want to go forward. And I hadn't even said anything. And I was like, yeah, that's why I'm here. He doesn't want to. And, but I will tell you, it's shocking to me that no, none of my trainers to that point had looked at the feet, you know, looked at anything else except like the training, quote unquote, you know, and I, I was like, yeah, zoom out, zoom way out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just became a little bit jaded with what I was, the, the closer I look with, with what I was seeing around me. So that's why I say it sent me on a whole different path about like, let's treat this holistically. Like, like let's look at the whole picture. And so I pursued that. But the other thing like with the corrective exercises that I've just been like so on fire about, I mean, I study tirelessly is um, I have seen the very real frustration of owners around the country who, I mean, at some point it's happened to most of us, your horse gets an injury or maybe not an injury, but he's just not quite right. And you take it to the vet and the vet tells you, well, you know, yes, we can find something and it's this, or they can't really find anything. None you're sent home and you're on stall rest. Right. And then after stall rest, the vet, you know, and the horse is maybe sound again. And the vet says, all right, well, let's start him back up to work. And people have no idea what to do. They're like, whoa, whoa, what does that mean? Well, I mean, uh, help, right. Yes. And <laughs> what happens is they often end up right back where they were, or they're really scared. They don't want to re-injure the horse. And so they're like taking these baby steps for the next years because they're just so worried and it's terrible. These people can't enjoy their horses, you know? And, and so I started to look around and go like, why are there not conditioning plans for these people to follow? Why are there not like a a set of exercises that people can, you know, practitioners can reference for these people. And it's been so rewarding 
um, to, to produce this stuff and put it out there. And I get, you know, I get contacted from people all over the world that they, they just want to be told what to do. They just want to program, you know? Right. right. And, and so, um, I'm so committed to it. There's so much more to learn. It, it really surprises me how far behind we are with, um, just rehabilitation and physical therapy for horses in general. And I, I understand there's part of it's financial and part of it's just we don't have the ability to do large scale studies. It's, it's tricky. Um, but I, I I'm hopeful that it'll keep growing this whole area of fitness and, and, and training conditioning training. I, I think it will. And I mean, just in the last, let's say five years, let's take ulcers. Like this is a major thing that I see quite a bit. Horses mm-hmm. seem to have persistent ulcers even though they've been treated well, you know, in terms of they've been doing the proper program and, and these are good owners, like it's nothing, you know, good yeah. vets, good vets and all of that, but something just isn't quite right. Maybe that horse isn't expressing it in a, what would be used to be called a rain lameness, something like that, but yeah. something is not right. And it's, and, and there's tension and the horse, that's how the horse is expressing it. And you may not realize it because maybe for your particular discipline, short stridedness is just normal, right? You know, it's not, it's not remarked upon as something, you know, I mean, a ranch pleasure horse, you know, if you're really striding out, people are going to be like, what's wrong with your horse? You know, you're supposed (laughs) to be in a certain. And so I think some of these horses, they really internalize it's a, it's a physical thing. And then that of course creates tension behind. You can't have any kind of gastro issue without having tension behind and in your back and in your flanks, which is like three quarters of your horse. So And what I've noticed is more and more people who have been, you know, treating ulcers is they will look at that as a rehab. Like I'm, my horse is on ulcer medication. I'm not going to do the usual routine. What can I do instead? And I'm always like, check out corrective exercises or check out, you know, uh, some different type of groundwork or riding work at the walk, which the walk is like my favorite gate ever to do things because everything that is going on is at the walk. If you can't get the walk going well, the other gates probably are going to fall into place, you know, and it's yeah. perfect for a horse that you're trying to reintroduce into work or get comfortable again without, um, you know, going right into your default patterns. So. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's a lot that can be done at the walk so much. I'm happy so you, to hear you. That. Yeah. And so you basically, started studying hardcore, right? You were saying that you, you, you're a geek and you also read veterinary books on a regular basis, which I'm really impressed with because I can't do that. I like the pictures in vet books, but I have a lot of They're so dry. Yeah, I know. I'm just like, my eyes are hurting, but, um, that's the kind of thing that I think is so valuable about your work because I'm kind of, let's say a functional person. So I, I do teach and I have a a program for the charity horses, for my clients, all of that. But I don't take the time to study as deeply. I understand something about biomechanics, obviously, but it's very helpful to have someone like you really studying it in depth and then translating it with into books, into videos, into courses, breaking it down again so that it's a program and it's also very understandable. So mm-hmm. that that you know, it's like anything, like you have to study something in depth in order to present it in haiku form, right? <laughs> so it's like, 
the, the simplest, you know, there's a movie I really like about sushi. It's called, it's Jiro, the sushi movie. I don't know if you've seen this. I it's about this. Well, oh, you'd really it. like it. It's, um, and I know that sushi maybe isn't, you know, a lot of people don't, we would prefer that that's not happening, but I'm sorry, I love sushi. So I'm sorry about that, but I do. And um, so it's about this, he's very Zen and he's like a million years old and he had the top Michelin rated restaurants, this little tiny sushi restaurant. And his whole thing is about, you do everything to this incredible degree of detail so that you can then be very simple. And, and it mm. basically produces a sublime product ultimately at the end. So um, that's a real digression. I'm sorry, I'm a little creative even for me. But um, I think that that's basically what is missing sometimes in, in materials or training videos where you're not really getting that depth of fuller knowledge hmm. that is then been very carefully distilled into something that is easy to understand and to practice in, in simple, consistent ways. And so that's really something that I think makes your work exceptional and also I know requires a lot of time on your part to produce. Um, yeah, it does. It sustains me. I, I think you're a thinker too, though. I like to think and ask why I've always had a curious mind. So, and, <laughs> and it's a good reminder to pay attention. You know, the horses teach us a lot if we pay attention. So, and you know, if I could just, encourage your your listeners i you know the other day something came out i was talking to somebody uh maybe a vet and they were saying yeah owners just need to ask more questions like is this actually working for my horse is this because you know people get on facebook and their friends want to share their opinions and tell them what to do and some of it might be worthwhile but some of it's not and and at the end of the day i like to empower people to ask is this working you know, or, or, um, you know, you said this exercise was supposed to do X, Y, and Z, but do I see that? Do I, do I think it's doing that? You know, it feel okay getting in that habit. Yeah. I like to talk about, I call it the CSI mindset or just being curious. And when you're curious, you're not typically invested in an outcome. You're just curious. So how did my horse respond or what did my horse actually do when I presented him with this poll? Not how do I feel about what I think my horse did, but what did my horse actually do? He took his left front and he put it here. And if you can kind of look at it that way, then by the end of the session, you might have some observations, right? That are neutral and you might go, you know, and I also get the sense that my horse, this isn't working for my horse. And then you look at that kind of, yeah. again, I, I, I like to encourage people to take notes, even on their phone, because there's something about clarity of thought and clarity of writing it down. You don't have to be perfectly eloquent in how you write about it, but there's something about that that really connects. I feel like that part of your brain that can really, again, be a little detached from emotion and kind of see these things. And then you can kind of look at it from your framework of the owner, like, oh, I really know my horse. And I see these things now a little differently and I can now relate it back to the sort of hunch I had or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's great advice. Cause otherwise I think many of us achieving folks want to feel like we have the answer, right? Like, well, I led my horse up to the pole and he did this. Okay. Why did he do that? Okay. Well, it might've been X, Y, Z. It's like, just, just hang out and just, just watch him for a second be curious yeah. and then also like you know let him again give him that space like 
I talk about, uh, particularly with my teen interns. So let's say done a maneuver with the horse and he's got that classic, I'm soaking on it posture, right? His eyes are sleepy, his lips are twitching, his head is down. And a lot of people, their instinct is to stand really close to the horse while that's happening. And I'm always like, hey, back up, like give them some slack on the lead rope. And I'll be like, you know, if something's hard for you, like I sucked at physics. And if I was working on a physics problem, I'm about to have an insight. Jack, if you stood on top of me, I'd be like, I can't even, like I need space. <laughs> it's like my brain waves need space. And uh, the horses, again, they really appreciate us, that little thing. And then once um, the student or the intern has made a habit of that and they, they see how the horse responds, then they look for it themselves and be like, oh, they're processing and they'll step back without like, <laughs> me having to tell them. And I think that's just so cool. Like, you know, you, you're kind yeah. of figuring out what works for your horse. Um, yeah. It's just kind of fun, you know? It's fun. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so what are you working on now? Are you working on a, a new book or are you um, focused on your students there or? Uh, well, I've been finishing, and this was actually before the pandemic, I had um, designed some online courses, which are live now. So, you know, one of them is a 30 day core conditioning for horses. Again, just telling people what to do, because I think people like that simplicity of just tell me what to do, I'm going to do it. Um, <clears throat> so I've kind of finished those in the last few months and um, got them all live. And then um I also created uh, like a training manual. So as you said, you like to encourage people to write things down. So it, a place for people to write things down and keep their, um, keep their notes. So beyond that, you know, I do keep kind of a full training business here in Santa Cruz. So I keep uh, about eight horses and in, that includes my own in full training and do lessons and whatnot. And this year I probably won't go out on the clinic scene until the end of the year, but I do travel usually once a month um, around the country, which I think is really fun because um, people do things differently in different parts of the country based on you know their weather and whatever forage they have available. And I just sort of love going around and being reminded that there's not one way you have to keep a horse, you know? And um and meeting people from different disciplines. I really enjoy that. Yeah, that is fun. And I, I know we're all looking forward to, you know, travel being more open. I mean, it's already starting to happen. And it sounds like your schedule is full enough that even in a normal year, sometimes you can't travel as much, which is, which is a great tribute, you know, to, to the success of your work. Yeah. Um, but like I say, I do enjoy the clinics. And then recently in the last year, and this is something that I hoped would happen. Um, you know, many people have either seen the 55 corrective exercises book or, uh, many of them have my equine fitness book, but uh, what's happened is they will reach out to me to help them design a conditioning program for their horse, which typically has, as I, as I described, it's had an injury, been properly mm -hmm. diagnosed. They've done the, um, you know, the, the period of time of limited exercise. And now the vet does the, the thing where the vet <laughs> says, okay, now I'll get back to work. And they're kind of like, ah, how? <laughs> and, <clears throat> so yeah, many people have, have reached out to me to design those conditioning programs and it's really fun. So they'll send a video clip of their horse. Cause as you're describing, some of these horses are all braced up and misaligned. Um, some of them are just grossly out of shape, but they all have some sort of anomaly. And, and I really enjoy, um, that process of picking the right exercises. And then the other part 
that I'm studying a lot right now, and I would like to see um, some growth in the horse industry is knowing how and when to um, <clears throat> properly add um, intensity of stimulus to make conditioning gains. I think most people get their horse to a pretty decent base level of fitness. Um, but beyond that, so fine tuning things like the mechanics we're talking about, sometimes people just hit a plateau mm -hmm. because they either need to evolve and change <clears throat> the batch of exercises they're using, or they need to add intensity either through duration or actual difficulty. And I think, um, we're just figuring out how to do that with horses. It's always been sort of guesswork or what mm -hmm. was handed down through tradition in the horse world, right? Whatever your trainer told you to do is what you did, but um, we're learning more about how to do that. Now we, we've gotten really good with what we know about human fitness, um, in terms of increasing stimulus, um, to continue to make gains. You can't just keep doing the same thing, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You have, right? to hit the, you have to hit the same muscles in different ways. And then there's that whole, yeah, yeah the intensity, like I hate interval training, but I have, you have to do it, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. um, I think that's a really, I think that's a really fascinating, element. I hadn't thought about that, that, you know, the intensity level, or you get to a certain kind of basic core fitness, but you then don't go beyond that. And I know, like with my personal horses, um, I have a couple personal horses. And of course, they're odd, because that's me, right? I'm like the odd horses. And um, classic, you know, sometimes I don't have as much time for them. So we'll get to a certain point, but then we never maybe go to the next level. And I I don't even think about that. Like I'm just sort of, it, one of these horses, I think in particular would really enjoy the next phase. It's not necessarily about, oh, we have to do, you know, now we have to go to the Olympics, but it's more about kind of some horses really want to be fit. Like they really aspire almost like they, they, they like the range of movement and he is an ex racehorse, So it kind of makes sense. So I'm looking forward to yeah. that next round of your work. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, or even some horses like <clears throat> cardiovascular fitness aside, um, some horses reach kind of a baseline with their coordination, oh, interesting. um, you know, so they groove down certain movement patterns and they're pretty balanced quote unquote, you know, they're pretty, um, balanced horses able to perform well, walk, trot, canter, but, um, being able to have the same heightened um, sense of coordination when asked to perform at different, you know, speeds and or lateral movements, that sort of thing, um, that is lacking. And what we know now about brain science is so many arena horses in particular do so much kind of, the nature of the work is a bit repetitive. And so when they're not as mentally curious and engaged in their work, then fewer muscle fibers get recruited to do the job. And um, so they actually start detraining, even though you're still riding them the same amount, doing similar things, actually start to lose fitness. So, you know, keeping the brain involved is a big part of making con conditioning gains as well. So that's really interesting because <laughs> it's obviously true for people, you know, basically you're yep. either growing or you're atrophying. <laughs> like there's nothing, there's no stasis. There's no stasis. Yep. You kind of got to be going one way or the other. And that's a really, that seems like a really significant and factual point to me because the horses I deal with often, they have very active minds and maybe their bodies right now can't do what they like. They're in rehab. And this idea that we see so many school horses that maybe are checked out mentally, right? This idea that the curiosity is part of what stimulates the whole system to engage, you know, physically, mentally, and then they change their posture, right? 
So, yeah. you know, if you have a horse that's really tight and braced and you introduce something like, you know, we might do the thing like the, um, the bag of things that jangle, you know, we drag it around and they're like, whoa, like they're really scared. And then they get really curious and their whole body unlocks and kind of keeping them on the side of curiosity. That's doing as much as like a rehab, you know, session, right. And you just unlock something mentally. So I hadn't thought about that as actually being like a real thing. Like that's actually part of the conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a big part. And you know, the easiest way to get it all done is cross training, you know, but um, it's surprising to me the, the, how I have to really bend people's arms to get them to cross train. And I don't know if it's because we get in our comfort zones and we just like to do our thing, or I think in some cases it's lack of open territory. You know, you just have an arena, maybe at your barn, you you can't get on trail or a track or something, you know, so it's, it's challenging, but that is the best way to, um, to not just be in stasis, as you, as you said, to use your term. And it's, uh, it's true for people too. I interviewed Lindy Murdoch last week and she was talking about how she always likes to be learning something new, you know, like she was playing tennis for a while. So I don't, I just did that. So I was always learning something. And I think now she's doing archery, which is amazing. And she <laughs> does that. She does that just to kind of keep all of that firing in herself, which I thought was really, really cool. It got me inspired. I actually ordered, I'm, I have terrible hand-eye coordination. I ordered juggling balls. Oh, I like, wow. Oh, I, I could teach myself that. Like, even if I'm hitting myself in the face with the ball, at least I'm like practicing. They're, they're little soft balls. They're not like an actual. Oh, I can't wait to hear how this goes. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I'm going to be, I don't think I'm going to be chronicling it visually anytime soon, but I thought, well, that's like a simple thing. Like, um, yeah. It, it is. I truly do have some hand-eye coordination issues. I don't know, but uh, it's just something that would be kind of fun. And yeah, um, yeah. some of us at the barn are, we we keep threatening to do roping, just like learning how to do big soft loop roping, like using a okay. dummy, just yeah. to change again this idea of physics and a swing. And and we all are awful. <laughs> We're like it's fun, you know. It's just sort of a different thing to do. So. Yeah. Turn on beginner mind. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that the beginner mind is such a overlooked thing. Like we can, I was just reading this book called range. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's basically, I I think you'd really enjoy it. Um, They're talking basically about who, what kind of person actually adapts and, and solves bigger problems. And they were talking about people who have range, they might be actually more generalist and they happily pull from experts. They, they make this distinction between hedgehogs, which are people who go very deep in one area and foxes who tend to like take from multiple sources and then in an interesting way, distill it. So they would oh. classify Steve Jobs as having range, for example. Okay. Um, and one of the things that they, in the book, I just was in this chapter, they're talking about how difficult it is for people who've been really well trained in something to drop, to drop basically, you know, highly trusted tools. And they talk about firefighters um, who do wildfire fighting, uh, fighting mm-hmm. wildfires. And yeah. uh, they always go in with all these tools and that sometimes you have a problem where a fire jumps, it jumps a canyon or whatever. And now the firefighters have to run. And one of the biggest things that they have trouble with is dropping their tools. If you have to drop your tools to run, but they find it really hard to drop those tools. Literally, it's, this is like the actual metaphor in real life because they feel like they're losing control when they drop the tools because they're firefighters. Yeah. So, and that we uh, often do this, um, whether we're in a company or in a 
horse sport or whatever, we have our treasured tools. And to let go of those feels really wrong, even if that's what you need to shift your perspective. And so that's something that I think I found when I was reading that, I was like, I had, oh, I see all these correlations to teaching and, you know, how yeah. to coach horses. Like, it's not that you would, you, we would say you can never do inside rein to outside leg again, but you might want to look at a different way to, to, to address something that isn't that same old tool, because maybe your horse needs a little shift, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, that's my, my, my literary contribution to the podcast. Oh, that sounds neat. Yeah, no, that sounds deep. I'm going to check that out range. Yeah. Okay. It's well-written too. It has a lot of interesting anecdotes and it goes across different types of professionals and companies. It's, it's really interesting. And, oh. um, that's what I do every morning is I try to read something that is not quite horse related, but kind of gets me stimulated, like thinking about different ways to, I don't know, approach challenges or whatever just improve myself I like that I'm gonna write it down okay okay cool <laughs> well I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you to the famous horse wise meme which happens almost on every interview which is that we've almost been talking an hour now okay and so it just goes really fast and um, but there's one thing I wanted if you're okay with this to end on I wanted to ask you about your horse Corazon because oh, yeah. I have seen you know the videos clearly this is an equine star of your program so can you share with your with my listeners his story and he's gorgeous uh, by the way yeah, yeah yeah no he's a perfect horse for me because I have to walk my own walk um so Corazon I always wanted an Andalusian I mean I just think they're amazing they're but beautiful. I could never afford one and um I was giving a clinic up the coast and uh at, at I turned out to be a backyard breeder of Andalusians. And I, I had uh, no idea when I decided to do this clinic and I don't know if she actually knew what she was doing or just getting lucky, but she had some nice horses there and it was sort of a dilapidated place. And I'm looking around and I'm like, God, there's some nice horses here. And so I, I point over at this communal pasture where Corazon was, he was five years old and unbroke at that point. And he was just a plain Brown scrawny horse. And I was like, but about that one, is he for sale? And they were like, yeah. And he was dirt cheap, like oh, dirt. Wow. And I was like, did he like kill the farrier? Or what's the deal with this And, um, you know, he didn't really do anything. I couldn't try him out. I got, I put a lead line on and he seemed very sensitive, but very tuned in. And I was like, yeah, I'll take him. And uh, <laughs> so I, I bought him and I started him and but uh, very shortly after I bought him, I'd had this trip to Brazil um, planned for a month. And so a very unfortunate thing happened. I had, I had wanted to just put Corazon out in a pasture um, while I was gone, but he, he went to a, a colleague of mine house and this bad accident happened oh. where he, you know, he freaked out about whoever was handling him. And he tried to jump out of this very tall fence and hung from his back leg and, oh. And they thought he broke his leg. And so, you know, I'm boarding the flight to Brazil and the vet was like, I think your horse broke his leg, but we can't really tell. And it was, it was obviously so upsetting. And um, so they were going to kind of keep him doctored up. And the, his prognosis was that he would not be a riding horse. He, he really damaged his sacrum. And, and so, you know, they said, oh, maybe he'll be pasture sound. But um, so I got back from the month in Brazil and proceeded to kind of rehabilitate him. And um, 
he has become a riding horse and he's, he's not going to be a Grand Prix horse, but he, you know, he doesn't have that ability, but he does have the ability to be, um, pretty darn sound and live, as you can see from my videos, a very good life. He has a great and life. He <laughs> and I are good, good friends. And, um, he's perfect. You know, as disappointed as I was by that injury, it does make me empathize with people who go through that. And, and, and there's, it's a misnomer that there's a perfect horse out there. They're all dealing with something. Um, and I'm so committed to keeping him sound and happy and functional that, you know, I walk my own walk and, um, it's for horses like Corazon, because as we were talking about earlier, I really do believe horses can enjoy their work. And he really does enjoy his work, even though he doesn't have, you know, the best body because of what he went through. Um, but I'm able to keep him, you know, very comfortable and he loves coming out. And I mean, you, he shuts his head in the halter. He's like, let's go. Well, it's <laughs> obvious from the videos that he loves his work and, um, and he's a, he's a big personality too. You know, he's the kind of horse who needs to express himself that way. And how old is he now? Uh, he's 13 now. Wow. Yeah. He was lucky. He was really lucky. Yeah. Of all the people, of all the people to have, it's like, it, it's your yeah. Jet Balloon's horse. You, you've become her ultimate laboratory. <laughs> it's, true. it's true. I think we both got lucky. He's such a sweetheart, but um, it's been a fun journey. Yeah, I got my Andalusian. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jack, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We'd really like to have you back again. I mean, I have yeah. like, I've, I've been taking notes. I have like 50 questions already to ask you next time. And we'd also just like to keep in touch in general, like as your work continues and as you kind of continue to go okay. down these avenues, I think it would be so cool to keep hearing about it. So I hope you'll consider coming back. I would love that. Yeah, no, I would absolutely love that. It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Well, take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I'm really looking forward to having Jack back on the podcast, hopefully very soon. For more information about her work, her books, her courses, and her YouTube videos, please go to her website, jackbaloo.com. At Horsewise, I teach you the horsemanship habits and tools to guarantee you long-term success with your horse, no matter what your discipline. I'm very excited to announce that as of June 1st, Horsewise will be releasing a new course and coaching package. For more information on that, as well as to receive a copy of our free study guide, please sign up for our email list at horsewisecoach.com slash sign up. As always, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.